And welcome back or welcome to another On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined by my good friend and colleague and fellow coach, Jonathan Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? You already know, giving the people exactly the best, most desirable thing ever that they want. This is going to be fun. Man, fired up today. I love exactly. So we're, Exactly. We're, yes. We're getting specific here, which is... Uh, Let's go. Always fun. So today we've got another exciting topic. I would call it our greatest hits of the topic. But before we jump into that, we got to tell you what we're doing over here at HPW Super Running, all this good stuff, our scholar program. You know, John and I have spent the pandemic working working on content yeah no it's probably been like i i was telling my wife i've never had a i haven't had a day off like i just going to work every i day. know it's it's, it's kind of wild kind of wild but um tried to as best we could put put our pandemic time to work which means creating good content creating lots of stuff i think you know we've got in our scholar membership program we are rolling out the renato canova you know uh course which we that thing is huge. Even the famed Mike Smith, our guest of multiple podcasts, NAU head coach, NCAA coach of the year. He signed up. He signed up to get his hands on that Canova. Man. Oh, my God. And he's hyped. Who, who knew we'd, uh, we'd reach that audience? But it's, it's kind of cool. And that's what I love about Mike Smith supporting the hustle. He didn't even ask for a free membership or free material. He's like, man. Um, you guys are doing a great service. This is cheap as it comes. So I'm, I'm in. That's I said, right. Thank if, you, Mike. If, if we've got Mike in, uh, you know it's valuable. So, And now we can know we got to keep the quality up to keep... Uh, I know, too. Yeah, Mike now it's like, ooh, our friends are here, man. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep, keep it coming. So we will do the best. But if you haven't yet, check that out because, again, it's it's highly worth it. Um, I'm biased, we're biased, but man, there is so much good content there. So check it out. And if you're not, yes, I'm hyped, man. It's so much good coming out this year. Vaccines are rolling out. Events are coming back. Track meets are coming back. Like, thank God. I'm (laughs) so happy. We are in the final miles of the marathon, almost to normalcy. So Let's still going to be tough for a little while, but man, it's there is light at the end of the tunnel, and this is whew, I'm hyped. <laughs> All right, so speaking of hyped, let's let's jump into today's topic, which is workouts, workout, workouts. We're gonna dive into all sorts of our favorite workouts, explain why we do them, what the purpose is. And just have some good fun on on reminiscing a little bit of some cool workouts that we do and maybe some different ones that are outside of the norm. So let's dive into this. All right, Steve, I'm going to start with you, man. Go to workouts for the marathon. What are your kind of benchmark or those just tried and true marathon workouts you, you come back to and uh, write or employ in marathoners training programs time and time again? Oh, man. Marathon workouts. So two things real quick is one, (laughs) I try and keep it a little creative in the sense that I switch some small variables around because marathon workouts are a 
Grimes. Um, so I don't think, you know, there's necessarily any one specific one I keep going back to, but there's a couple variations, which are almost always what I like to do is, um, we'll give a marathon specific workout. What I like to do is have them run depending on the athlete, six to 10 miles easy first. Right. Why? Well, you know, we're trying to fatigue the legs a little bit. We're trying to just get our time on our feet there. And then we're trying to use some of our fuel sources, right? And then after that easy portion, we go into something where we're running at marathon pace and alternating back and forth. Now, a lot of times... Ooh, the alternations. Yeah, mm-hmm. A lot of times I like to start with, with you know, keeping it pretty short and maybe we'll go mile on, mile off, right? So for a, a very good woman marathoner, we might go mile at 540 and then mile at 610, right? So 610 is still pretty dang fast, but it's not... It's not marathon specific. It's a little bit slower, but it's still fast enough where you got to stay, you know, concentrated and in it and engaged. Um, and over time with that, that alternation, you're just building up this fatigue, using these fuel, like pushing to this point where once you get to where you've done, I don't know, um, six of those back and forth, man, you're done. You know, you're, you're kind of toast. But what I like to do is over time, extend that out. So maybe the first time we go mile on, mile off, then the next time we go, you know, a mile and a half on, mile off, and then two miles on, mile off, then three miles on, one mile off. And what you're doing there is you're just building this little capacity, right? This capacity to kind of deal with the fatigue, get used to, um, um, you know, the fuel utilization, all of that good stuff. A little lactate clearance action happening. Yeah. All that good stuff where you're just teaching the body. And, you know, if you can get up, as I said, if we're doing six to 10 miles at the beginning, that workout is going to end being around 20, 21, 22 miles, which is a lot. And one thing. Yeah, I mean, that'll get you ready for the marathon. One, one thing I'll add here is a lot of times we don't do long quote unquote cool downs from this. So I think it, in track we're used to like, okay, everyone go for their two or three mile cool down after afterwards. Um, a lot of times I'll have them do like a mile, you know, at the end easy. And I think the reason is because when we're pressing this fuel utilization, a lot of times they're kind of toast, like not completely, but they're running low on, on glycogen at the end right? So the cool down here isn't like preparing them for anything else, even though we're doing it slow because they're running low on glycogen. Like it's still kind of fatiguing to a degree. Plus the mechanical load at that point. Exactly. Mechanical load. So I don't press it, you know, once we got the work in the, the, the goal is, you know, just a little shake out and then go home eat some good meal, recover like crazy, stay off your feet. The next day won't be that hard. You'll just shake out and uh, sometimes off and uh, we'll get back at it. Yeah. I like it, man. I like it a lot. What uh, what do you say is the time horizons to progress that from the first introduction 
you have six to 10, you know, miles of work to, you know, 20 plus miles of work. Like how long ideally does that take from your experience? Like how many weeks to make that progression? Yeah, good question. So I generally start these progressions maybe 12 weeks out from a marathon, right? And then our last big one is probably three to four weeks, probably about four weeks on average. Um, we do these types of workouts maybe once every two weeks, sometimes once every 10 days, but generally once every two weeks because it's pretty intensive. So though, just to give some context, the way I like to do my marathon training is essentially, and it varies a little bit. Sometimes it's on a rotating three cycle, sometimes a rotating two cycle for long runs. What that means is for our big kind of longer day, one week, if it's on a rotating two week cycle, one week we'll go easy, right? And just get our time on the feet. And then the next week we'll have something like this where we're getting 20, you know, a large volume on. Um, So I'll do that. And the other thing is early in the in the in the progression here because the volume isn't as high because we're building up to that. A lot of times I'll start this and put this in our kind of medium long run place, and then it eventually it'll take the place of the long run. I like that. That's good. What uh, would you like? How would you place this workout? Is it like kind of one of the primary focal? workouts that you're really trying to see progression enhancement to measure adaptation and measure like you know improvement and readiness or are there other workouts or um you know inputs that you use to help help you make that determination if someone's actually getting you know better yeah it it, so this is our marathon kind of specific on whether they're efficient and able to handle this marathon pace the other thing that i think is really important for the marathon is how they handle their quote unquote, we'll just call it their lactate threshold sessions. So a little bit faster, right? Than marathon pace. Um, and how they're handling those. Sometimes I do those in terms of something like three by two mile, right? Or, or two by three mile or four miles and two miles, whatever it is. Right. Um, (laughs) but how they're handling, which is generally, I don't know, off the top of my head, maybe 20, 25 seconds a mile faster. I think that gives you a lot of important information because uh, a lot of times we think like, oh, how they're handling the marathon pace, but you need that gap, right? You need that gap there. And if that gap isn't large enough, then we're going to run into trouble on marathon pace. Like we're, I, we're always kind of, you know, um, riding that line and trying to thread the needle but the if we have a larger gap there to work with between kind of their steady state threshold type work and their marathon pace um then we have a little more wiggle room and we're not gonna ride this this line of of death and if you go down the it just you know i know we're talking about workouts but this is important if that gap isn't big enough Sometimes a lot of people say like, oh, then I need to do more threshold. But a lot of times the uh, the kink in the pipe is another level or two down, right? Because you got to think yes. of it. Mm-hmm. You got to think, okay, if I can't, if I don't have my threshold stuff isn't fast enough. What's the limiting factor? A lot of times it's because like we're not, we don't have that ability. We'll just use simplistic terms to run at a decent 5K, 10K pace at that time. So 
you know, that's why I like to, for marathoners, I kind of like to look at both their marathon specific work, but also their faster work, because like that tells me, hey, do I've got, do I have enough gap in here that they're going to be okay when they're riding this line and not be redlining the whole time? Yeah, I think that's really important, Stephen, something you've proven to be really effective with a lot of the marathoners you work with, and also who I think you were influenced by after going through all his materials, Canova, <laughs> right? And he talks in like percents of paces. And if you, you know, sign up in our scholar, you'll see that. And a lot of times, right, we do think that it is a linear translation. If I do more marathon pace, I get better at marathon pace. And there's some truth to that, but you can't like, as you've seen, hang your hat on that and think that that is the direct correlation. It's, you know, I call it the default pace, right? Ideally, in any race, whether it's say 100 meters or a marathon, you want to condition the body to be comfortable at a default pace that is the majority of what where the racing will take place so that then when the demands get more technical or difficult, they have something left in the tank emotionally, energy, uh, energy-wise, physically, emotion, uh, and psychologically to actually, you know, race and compete when it gets tough versus just being redlining from step one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and definitely influenced by Canova on that. But it's, you know, that's what makes the marathon interesting and difficult is you're trying to balance these things out. I think the old school model of it was like, oh, we just got to get a lot of volume, a lot of, um, you know, the strength on it, which is obviously true. Um <laughs> But the more the quicker things have gotten, the more this has changed, um, it changes things. And also it's different. I think one of the important things here to remember is it's different for women and men. Yes. Oh, because think, yes. think about it is, you know, your body doesn't recognize miles covered, right? It's it's energy spent and the time that you're doing it. So. As if we're trying to run two hours and 30 minutes versus two hours and eight minutes, that's that's a 22 minute differential between the time that we have to actually, you know, spend on our feet, like utilizing fuel, et cetera, et cetera. The quicker we get down to, let's say, the, the Kipchoge two hour barrier, like the less <laughs> less chance of... um of uh, running out of fuel we tend to have because we're not on our feet quite as long, right? We're not utilizing fuel for quite as long. So I think it's it's important there to, to think about those things when you're looking at the, uh, the difference between how you train men and women in the marathon. Yeah, that's... I think that's something we could actually spend a whole yeah. podcast on and we maybe should down the road because there th- it's amazing how sensitive and discreet the body is with time horizons for its preferred fueling substrate that it accesses and how long we have, right? And it's physiological and biological. So we, there are com- determinate times and we can condition it. And that's end up what we're seeing in, in the marathon now is just a difference in how we condition to be able to sustain certain velocities for two hours versus two and a half hours versus people who are running slower than that three hours, three and a half hours and four hours. Like it's, it's amazing. You know, we have to take into account what we're really trying to train 
and not just the mechanical stress of enduring the ability to go pound the pavement for that period of time. Exactly. So let's let's turn to the other extreme for you, John. Let's go down into the middle distance workouts. What is one of your favorite or multiple of your favorites workouts for middle distance runners? Oh, man. I know. I got a lot. <laughs> There's so many workouts. We could probably spend, you know, 10 hours going through workouts here. Middle distance is tricky because essentially you're trying to hit three things. And I actually, I talked to Rob Connor about this the other day, uh, you know, and gave him some um, insights into training his 800 meter men. But essentially there's three different things we're trying to accomplish. One, trying to raise the max velocity or max speed someone can produce, right? Because that's really critical to middle distance success. The higher max speed, absolute max speed you have, the higher overall um, aerobic power and velocity you can then condition your body to sustain, right? Then two, we move into that area, aerobic power. And that's where your body can sustain that velocity through the aerobic mechanism, fueling substrates without kind of, you know, quote unquote, bonking or decelerating, which also ties into then um, acidosis tolerance, right? Or lactic um, or lactate tolerance. So, you know, there's an article I published on uh, super running that says, okay, there's a difference between lactate threshold and lactate tolerance, right? Lactate threshold is essentially what you're trying to do in the marathon is condition the body to use fueling or lactate and pyruvate as a primary fueling substrate through the Krebs cycle to sustain itself. Lactate tolerance or acidosis tolerance is about coping with excessive amounts of lactate and not having it slow you down too much. And what's interesting is, is a side caveat, what we're seeing with a lot of these pop-up track meets that have been happening recently here in the early um, 2021 is you're seeing a lot of fast times, right? Um, and partly because of the super shoot phenomenon, which by the way, I'm a big fan for because it gives the sport a great narrative of saying, hey, we're running fast, but you got to know what you're seeing, right? Um, the 5 and 10K times are taking off. People are running boncos faster than they ever have, probably about a second to a second and a half per lap, which is great to see. However, looking at the middle distances, right, in the 15 and the 8, we're not seeing the same big pop-off. Why? The tech is the same on the shoes, but you can't outrun the ability to have or cope with that acidosis tolerance, right? And so that coping of acidosis is so fundamentally um, a performance limitant in the middle distance events. Because when it comes on, it comes on quick and it comes on with such ferociousness that it can decelerate you in a heartbeat. And we've all seen that in like the 800, right? Everyone's all together and then 200 meters to go, boom, a bomb you like blows, you know, drops on the track and the field just starts to, you know, separate wildly. Right. Uh, and same thing in the mile, right. So after at the bell, everyone's together at the bell. And then all of a sudden on the back straight, woof, it looks like some people just start running in qu uh, quicksand and other people are taking off. That's acidosis tolerance or lactate tolerance and coping. So when I think of those three demands, I, you know, really think, okay, what are the three types of works, workouts we need to do? Well, one, for um, raising max speed, 
is going to be acceleration type work, which can either be re- my, one of my favorite early season workouts is really fast hills, 40 meters, fast hills. And I mean, uh, just a moderate gradient. And the way I do it is I do it in sets of three. So 40 meter hill, sprint up, walk back down, do it again, walk back down, do it again over 40 meters, right? What that does is it sets the body up from a neuromuscular and also mechanical load um, standpoint to then be able to transition to then 40 meter flies on the track where max velocity, all out, you know, um, uh, acceleration and flies meaning you have about a 10 to 15 meter build up into it. So you hit 40 meters at top end speed and then you do sets of, again, in sets of three. Uh, and the way I like to talk to athletes about it is think about you're trying to run fast, faster, fastest. I don't really put a time on it because, again, the time's probably all going to be the same because as we're subjecting athletes to the neuromuscular demands of producing high, high maximum force and power, um, they are getting fatigued in those micro windows because, two, we have to balance in middle distance the 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 truth of the game is that we are speed endurance athletes, right? So it can't just be 40 meter like sprinters, 40 meters and then take eight minutes break, 40 meters, take eight minutes break, because all they care about is just, you know, advancing the neuromuscular the pure purity of the neuromuscular capacity and power output on just this, you know, um anaerobic uh glycolytic CP um energy substrate. We have to deal with a bunch of other stuff. So that's why I kind of package them closely like that. So that's the progression and that workout then becomes a workout to then a actually preparatory um, types um, thing that's part of the warm up when we get into the later sta- uh, stages of the, the training. The other one that addresses aerobic power, that is, you know, again, the, the tougher one, but essentially the way I try to do it is try to scaffold that aerobic power um, by having athletes participate in kind of the concept of date pace and goal pace, right? And for me, aerobic power is very pace discipline, but with very small density, which means short recoveries. So a good example for, say, an 800-meter runner would be the first aerobic power um, workout might be 100 meters at like date 800-meter pace effort with 50 meters walk back or a hundred meters walk jog in between, right? So we're doing essentially hundreds with, you know, about one to one, or I mean, one to two, one to three work rest ratio, but we're just trying to condition the body to sustain that tempo and that effort in a, a package that creates this demand to produce this power of this velocity on more of the aerobic system as we get to rep three and rep four for the middle distance runner that might or miler that might be 200s with 100 meter recovery right so four times 200 or five times 200 depending where they're at with 100 meter recovery at you know that kind of um either date or goal mile speed big rest in between the sets depending on the age of the athlete depends on the volume um but typically about to anywhere from between two to four sets of that work to really condition the aerobic power. That then progresses to be for 
the intermediary three hundreds. Like the the pro the progression would then be three times three hundred at eight hundred meter goal pace with a hundred meters recovery towards the end of the um, preparation period before we start racing. For the miler, that's going to be quarters, good old fashioned quarters, three times a quarter, two sets of that with a hundred meters recovery at mile speed, something like that, just to get the aerobic power mechanisms um, advanced. And then finally, for the acidosis tolerance work, that's sharp work. It only takes six weeks to actually get a benefit. So we save it towards the end of our progression, but that's just running darn near at or faster than race pace again with really shallow recovery. So an example of my go-to one for 800 meter runners is going to be uh, essentially uh, like a, it'll look like a speed, a cut down speed ladder, 250, 200, 150 at 800 meters speed with one to one or one to two work to rest ratio. So, you know, talking like 60 seconds to 90 seconds at most in between that, right? And that gets the acetosis tolerance firing. For the miler, it's going to be 300s at goal mile speed um, with, you know, one to one to one to three work to rest ratio. So 45 seconds rest to, you know, uh, 90 seconds rest type situation. Um, you know, I have it on good authority that say uh, Timothy Chariot did this uh, a workout like this inspired by Seb Co. Um, and did, you know, I think somewhere from eight, uh, eight to 15 range, I forget how many, 300s consecutively on 45 seconds rest at like 39, 37 before he like, you know, um, went to Doha in 2019 and won the world championship running just straight from the gun, right? Uh, hearing, you know, seeing that is really important because it's it's something that's lost in um, kind of the the cold of volume and, in, uh, and intensity and load is it's like at the end of the day, you just got conditioned the body to sustain, sustaining and coping with all the different mechanisms and physiological, um, biological reactions that happen in the body to just keep that pace going. So to me, it's, again, it's three, it's this threefold um, symphony of workouts that all blend into each other and support each other. And if you omit any one of those, in my opinion, you've put your middle distance runner out of deficit. All right. So a lot to unpack there. Let's start with this. Like uh, usual. The free- <laughs> The the frequency of these three types of workouts during, let's just keep it simple, during the, let's say, early part and uh, later part of the season. Yeah. So the frequency is going to be speed, the max speed stuff two to three times a week in the early part of the season because that's the latency of that um, skill is neuromuscular primarily. And so you need to maintain it and uh, produce Get, uh, you need to over and over and over again practice it. Otherwise, you lose your efficacy in that. The aerobic power stuff is about once a week. It's hard work. And then the um, acidosis tolerance work is at the shortest once a week, but usually about every 10 days because it is really tough work. I cannot stress that enough. It is always followed by a f- either a full day off or a really easy recovery day just because it is such um, a puke of neuro, uh, physiological 
uh, waste products into the body, it, it takes a lot of time to rebound from that. So um, that's the hardest out of the three workouts. But again, thinking in frequency, um, you know, the important thing is not to overdo the lactic um, tolerance work. And the important thing is not to underdo the amount of speed. It's that, that, that balancing of those things. Um, yeah, I really like that. And, uh, one thing I wondering if you could expound on, because I think this is a really important uh, point is in there, you mentioned for your aerobic power, the short rest within reps, but then giving long rest within sets. Why is that done? Important because again, within the set, you're trying to condition the body from a fueling and neurological standpoint to produce a certain speed under increasing fatigue. However, if you don't take enough recovery in between the sets, then your body isn't able to create that clearance of clearing those metabolic waste products that you so thoroughly injected in that set to then be able to do another set or another bout of work at the desired speed. And that's the key there, right? Is making sure it's a fine line. You're trying to balance volume of exposure with also maintaining a discipline of a certain tempo. Because if you start to gravitate to very slow speeds on the 100 rep or the 200 rep or the 400 rep and starts to become 5K pace or 10K pace for the miler or even the... um, half miler, you're, you've lost the point of the session. You're not conditioning the athlete anymore. You're getting the volume in, but not in a way that actually creates the learning and changes you want both psychologically and metabolically. Love it. I think that is uh, such an important thing. It actually reminds me of, uh, you know, while you were talking there, a, a workout I did in high school, I don't remember the exact details, but I remember it was something like, uh, you know, uh, sets of three by 400 with um, a hundred meter jog in between and then five minutes between sets. And I remember that workout. It was just like that hundred meter jog. You're just like, oh my gosh, I'm not (laughs) recovering. I'm recovering just enough to do the next one. And then you get to that five minute rest and you're like, oh, thank God. And you get recovered just enough so that you can come back and do it again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the sets do get more difficult yep. because your recovery does become impaired. It's not necessarily full recovery, but it's, um, you know, it's a, it's full enough recovery, as I call it. Yes. Yes. It's not the sprinter full recovery of wandering around for 10 minutes or 15 or whatever it is, but it's, it's, it's enough recovery where you can rebound and get on it. Yeah. And you see this a lot in Rasco's training with um, Alan Webb actually having gone, you know, revisiting again, Alan's training logs. And it's like a lot of, um, you know, Rasco's work for Alan in the aerobic power department would be on actually progressing recovery. So if there wasn't big, um, rest in between sets and he, you know he would just do something cont- straight like 800 meter like six times 800 meters straight that are meant to be aerobic power in order to allow alan the ability to sustain the pace or even quicken the pace what rask could do is incrementally increase the recovery in between 
uh, each rep. So I'm sure you've lived this, you know, as well, Steve. And it's like, after the first 800, it was like two, two, two minutes rest. And then after the next 800 is two, you know, 15 and then two thirty, and then two forty-five, and then three minutes and 15 seconds or 30 seconds doesn't seem like a lot, but to the body, it can be, there can be a switch essentially that allows enough buffering to happen for it to rate itself to meet the man's, but still be in this very challenging and stressful state, but, but be able to cope just barely with what's asked of it. Yes. Yes. I remember those workouts uh, vividly <laughs> where the rest, yeah, it's funny. You would savor those extra like 15 or 30 seconds. It's amazing. Even the psychological difference where you just be like, all mm-hmm. right, I've got an extra 30 seconds before this next set starts. Like I can, I can make it, I can rationalize it. Um, yeah. And that's so key. Is that, that, that bargaining that happens in that, okay, giving your body, you know, what's coming in front of you, but you know, you just get a little bit more time to prepare for it. And somehow, you know, that bargaining allows the athlete to like force their body <laughs> to, 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 to do the next rep. Yeah, it, it really does. And you know, one of the things that I found interesting with Rasco style on that is sometimes it would allow you to get a, like big performance, we'll call it out of that last rep, because as you got into the training with Rasco, a lot of times what, what I thought was interesting and what was really valuable in his training was, uh, as you're in the specific period, we'll call it as you would finish like your last 400 we'll say really freaking quickly. Right. And he would like yell, like hit it or something like that. And you just try and you just, you know, it was almost like simulating uh, what you were trying to do in, in a race, right? And because you'd get like sometimes again, it would be maybe an extra 15 or 30 seconds before that last rep. It allowed you to just to get enough recovery or enough psychological recovery, which you know, you'd go from like dying to like, okay, in my case, finishing in like 54 for the last 400 or Alan, like 50 seconds or whatever it was. Um, it would allow you to reach this next level instead of just hanging on. And I think that had a, a nice physiological, but also psychological benefit of like teaching you that like you can finish and here's how you do it, you know? Yeah. It's- Basically, for the middle distance runners, I've gravitated towards that a lot. Is in any sessions that's not a acidosis tolerance session, where like it's going to be pretty much impossible to finish as hard as fast as you can. Anything that's less severe than that, yeah. <laughs> I always, you know, create a rep, a final all you got rep, you know, as a homage to uh, Ron Warhurst and the Michigan workout. But that final all you got rep, whether it's 200 or even 100 or 400, it does callous and give confidence to the athlete that I've, I've been here so many times, so fatigued that it's just, it becomes, they become immune almost to that when the bell hits and it, and the difficult racing starts. And it it's just as much of a physiological benefit if not more so psychological benefit, because it's, it's no big deal. And we've been doing this a lot with uh, Daniel Herrera right now, as he's preparing for this outdoor season and every, 
non-acetosatolins workout, he finishes with a 400 all you got. And he goes, you know, he, he playfully just tells me, oh yeah, I'm just dead inside. It doesn't matter. Like I'll just run 51. It just doesn't matter. Like I can be exhausted and it just doesn't matter. Why? Because we've been doing this like once or twice a week for like five months where it's just like, hey, you just did a, you know, six mile tempo. Okay. Now finish with, you know, get, get a little recovery. Now finish with a lap of, you know, all you got. Oh, you just did really hard, um, you know, five by 800 at like two flat to 205 with, you know, one to two. Okay. Finish with 400, all you got. Like, it's just, you're always, cause you're never going to escape that demand on race day for the miler or for the inner mirror. And so you have to condition them to it. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. I think sometimes in practice we, uh, we, uh, shy away from that stuff, but especially with the 800, you know, one of my staple with, with my guys is giving them a little extra rest. And then that, that all you got rep, whether it's a 300 or 400 or sometimes 500, whatever it is. And I, I think you've, it, you, you gotta get like that mental and psychological, like hardening to degree so that it's, not like a shock to the system when you're in the depths of fatigue and um and you got to pull something out yeah yeah no it's huge all right well let's let's go to the middle steve 10k 5k oh man you know (laughs) 5k or 10k so i'm gonna i'll give you two things for the 10k Especially, you know, I know I mentioned alternations for uh, the marathon, but man, do I love them for the 10K. Maybe I just love alternations in general. I think you just do. You're just a masochist at heart. And by the way, alternations are really tough when you do them at first. Really tough. (laughs) So, but one of the reasons I love this is is because maybe there's some symmetry in it, but I love... You know, for the 10K, for example, doing, you know, five, six miles total worth of alternations where maybe the first one we start off with going 400, 1200 that first week where we're going 400 at around 10K pace, 1200 at what we'll call steady. So we'll just say, you know, for a, you know, a solid average college guy, maybe 450 mile pace for the 10K, say they're getting ready for a cross 10K. Then the the off would be maybe, you know, 530-ish, 540-ish. So somewhere around 40, 45 seconds differential. And then I just like steadily increasing it, right? We go from 400 to 1,200. Then we go 600 to 1,000. Then a lot of times 700, 900, 800, 800. And then if we're really ambitious, like 1,600. And that 1,600 workout is a freaking grind, I bet, dude. Once you get 800, 800 is really difficult. But once you get Mm -hmm. to where you're getting less, you know, um, less recovery time than than time spent on pace and you're still trying to keep it steady, it's tough. And the key to this entire workout is not necessarily running the on parts harder. It is keeping the steady part steady. That is the entire key and i love this workout especially for um 
college athletes because a lot of times the 10k for college athletes is it's not just the physical of it it's the psychology of getting ready for that grind that is a 10k since they have never done one before a lot of times and this is just like a hardening effect because psychologically if you're alternating yes 530 pace like it's quote easier but when you're filled with fatigue 530 pace takes full concentration to stay on Right. So because your tendency and you see this all the time, your tendency, because we're used to doing intervals, is to get done with, let's say, our 800 and then we ease off into jog. Right. Because that's what we normally do. We finish the 800. We either stop or we start jogging. And it's like this natural moment of this and the ability in psychology to sit there and be like, Oh man, I got to transition from running, you know, 450 pace to 530 pace, which isn't that big of a difference in the grand scheme of things. I can't ease off. I've got to actually work to slow down just a little bit. So I, I think there's something great, the great in there. And then the other thing I'll say, since, you know, to, <coughs> to give variation and not just alternations for the 5k, I love building up to miles. So what mm-hmm. do I mean by that? Yeah, let's talk more about yeah, that. Yeah. What do I mean by that? I love having our last big 5K session be something traditional, like four by mile with three minutes rest or a slow 400 jog, whatever you like. I think there's something, you know, there's something to that uh, to do, do to a degree. But I love building to get there, which means that uh, at the very beginning – we might do uh, four sets of five by 400 with 45 seconds rest with a little longer rest in between sets, but at 5K pace, right? And then we might go from sets of five by 400 to sets of three to four by 600. Again, very short rest, 45 seconds, maybe a 100 meter jog, kind of what you were talking about, John, and then maybe two to three minutes between sets to allow them. Um And then we might go into sets of uh, two to three by 800 again at at pace. And then we might get to a traditional of, you know, we're going to do thousands at at pace and we get rid of the sets, right? And now we're our traditional. And then we build up to those miles. And I think there's just this nice, I don't know, there's this, it, it gives this nice fluid adaptation where you're challenging, where the pace is staying about the same, but you're manipulating the rest and the sets and all this stuff to, to gradually take it away. So you're like hardening to them to the fact that they're going to have to sustain this for a while until we get to like that last session where they're doing, again, depending on the athlete, either three to four by mile. And there's something about miles at 5K pace where, especially if they can finish that last one faster, where you just get, like a it simulates things really well but b it gives just gives them a lot of confidence if they can you know they can crush that last last mile that they've got it yeah no i love it man i think this has kind of been a running theme we've been hitting around as we've talked it's balancing the psychology and also the physiology demands of preparing an athlete to be calloused for their the realities of their race whether it's this sharp influx of acidosis that comes in the 800 mil distance events or this long, steady, slow burn 
you know, for lack of a better word, that you get in the longer distance events. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about just solely the physiological and, you know, the, the science-y stuff of it, but it's because it's hard to measure the psychological part, right? And that's where the art of coaching comes in to know your athletes and be there in person or have an intimacy with them if you are, you know, coaching them from afar remotely to be able to do what they um, get them to do what they need to do to be not prepared just in body, but in mind and soul. Exactly. You know, I think I, you know, I, I think don't get me wrong. As you said, the physiology matters. I love it. I science nerd out of it, but it's really balancing these adaptations because what you're trying to get, what you're trying to get out of this is just exactly what you said. It's just, you're just trying to slowly, gradually harden these athletes to the demands and that means demands physiologically psychologically emotionally whatever it is to that you know and i think you know we're giving examples here but i hope what you take away from this is the thought process behind why we're creating and why we're doing these workouts right because you know and listening to you, John, and this has been incredibly valuable for me to just listen, you can hear the thought process on, okay, this is the progression. This is what we're trying to do. This is why the reps are this length. And this is why the rest is this. And this is why we're changing these things to get to this point, right? Because we're just trying to adapt athletes in a certain direction to get them ready and prepared um, we're not necessarily trying to always simulate the race, although sometimes we are. We're trying to get them prepared psychologically, physiologically for the demands that they're going to face. So there's a systematic kind of approach to it while keeping in mind the individual we're working with and, and how they're looking and adapting. I think that's a great thing you bring up, Steve. And one thing you you do really well is blending planning and this like need for control and progression and going from point A to climbing and scaling the mountain to point B, but also too with balancing what you know is loosely called wayfinding, right? And finding your way in the chaos when you you know everyone has a plan, right? Until they get punched in the face, what do you do? And what we've talked about, where like sometimes good enough is good enough, right? And that, I think, is one of the key things I was talking with an athlete uh, yesterday, the anxiety, right? Anxiety is, uh, uh, is insecurity or worrying about the future, right? Um, and versus like depression is, um, you know, worrying about what happened in the past, uh, you know, to have the, the Lao Tzu very loose um, terminology. And so a lot of anxiety in, in runners because we want this control. We want to say, if I do this work, I'll get this fast, guaranteed, no matter what. But if anything, the last year has taught us how much is out of our control and how much illusion, um, uh, how much control is an illusion, right? And the, the, the what matters is finding your way. And that's what these workouts do. Whether So if you have a balance of both okay, a effort or a time that you're trying to hit on a rep or, you know, for the construction workout, but also a psychological uh, hardening. So let's say it's a windy day or humid day or whatever, and the times go out the window, but as you still, as a coach, view it a uh, value to get that workout in, you can then pivot to say, hey, look, what I care about is you psychologically frame this rep or the set in this way to harden yourself and callous yourself mentally and emotionally in this way. Don't worry about times. 
worry about just that, you know, mental fortitude or grit you're trying to establish. And I think that's, that's the balance of, um, of training is having both those um, demands, the psychological and physiological, both in the driver's seat up front and being able to toggle and pivot between the two and have them married together versus having one be the primary impetus because something will happen in your training and progression. Steve and I have seen enough where like what we, you expect or the plan just kind of goes to pot and you have to like come up with plan B, C and D. Right. Yeah. I, I think that I love uh, what you said there about calling it wayfinding because that really is the balance is between the planning and the, and the wayfinding and being able to hold. It's like holding your, like holding your plan lightly or writing it in pencil, whatever metaphor you want to use there. But that is so important. And, you know, we've talked about Rasco and his training a lot, but when I was training out there with him, I was always impressed by the fact that when things weren't going well, Rasco was the master at then manipulating the workout to get them back on track. Right. So, you know, I remember several instances, both with myself and other, uh, you know, better athletes out there than than I was, where a workout might not have been going in the right direction, and Rasco would change it up and get and ensure something like he change it up to get something out of that workout. Sometimes it was like just manipulating the rest and having athletes do other things. Sometimes he saw, you know what? Like we're not getting the quality out of this track, like this specific track workout. So we're going to go in the opposite direction and try and get something else out of, out of today, right? And he'd recognize it early and, and get it done. And I was always impressed by that fact um, and of like that ability to, although have a plan and have the idea of what you're going to do, but then pivot um, and not be stuck and hold into, no, today is mile, like specific workout day. We must get this, this done, even though if the feedback coming from the athlete is that the quality you want isn't going to be out there. Yeah. And that, that's so important to put a pen in, Stephen. I think, you know, anyone listening to this go, well, how do you know how to pivot? Right. And for me, you know, how I learned was exposure to coaches and workouts, like just watching sessions. I mean, even to this day, um, I still try to go visit other coaches and just watch how they coach a, a session, whether it's people I have immediate access to at any level, high school, college, uh, professional, or even, um, you know, recreational um, runners, like, we're all trying to do the same thing. And that's the beauty of just sometimes observing how coaches coach, because it, it helps to, that exposure of seeing what's their workout construction, what's their purpose, how they pivot, how are they managing their athletes, you know, given the context and the environment really helps you. And this is kind of what Steve and I also try to do with like, my workout of the day series or the scholar program or other things we put out there is give you more exposure to more types of constructions of things and the intention of things so that when you get in that environment, you have a little bit more education and confidence in your toolbox to make those intelligent pivots to still, as Steve likes to say, win the workout in some way, shape or form. Um, but also, you know, I'll add to getting back on track to workouts 
my favorite for the five and 10, since this kind of where Steve and I meet in the middle, he's the, you know, long distance guru. I'm the supposed middle distance guru, <laughs> but you're, uh, for me, what I found is like, um, the 10 K is it's pretty simple. I like to just do mile repeats, um, with short recovery. So the goal is just to do six by a mile with like 90 seconds, seconds recovery and always keep it at 90 to 60 seconds recovery and progress the pace from starting off at like, say a threshold or broken tempo effort to eventually getting closer and closer to desired 10 K pace. And then always finishing to it with like what we talked about, 400 all you got, right? Why? Simple symmetry, right? And confidence in the athlete. The 10K is 25 laps, six miles plus a 400. So we're just doing over and over and over again, conditioning that person just to run six by a mile or six miles plus an all out 400. Uh, it's pretty um, simplistic, but pretty damn effective <laughs> over and over and over again. That's kind of like, one workout for 10K athletes, I always come back to and um, make it a, you know, once every 10 days or once every three to four workouts type workout. Um, and I've just enjoyed really good success with it when I was, you know, whether it's coaching collegiately or professionally, that type of session, because it, like we talked about, Steve, it also gives them the psychological confidence of saying, hey, if I can do this stuff on 90 seconds, 60 seconds rest, plus the miles is kind of a mental grind, then they feel really more apt and confident to um, attack and um, have success in the 10K. And then for the 5K, honestly, my favorite 5K workout comes from two different sources. Are my The two are, one's from Vin Lanana in his uh, 1,000 meter breakdown workouts, right? That's where you do 1,000 meters, a repeat at 5k type pace you can do one or two of those and then you do 500 300 200 uh, breakdown so it's still a k in volume but now you're breaking that down at the 500s at like 3k pace the 300s at mile pace and the 200s at like 800 meter pace and the recovery interval is the uh, recovery of the falling rep so 500s followed by 300 recovery 300s followed by 200 recovery the 200 is followed by 500 recovery. You can either repeat the um, breakdown or go back into the Ks. And what this does is for the 5K, it's so hard. There's so much. Uh, it's such a brutal, demanding event. There's a lot going on there. And because of it, you got to callous that athlete to be able to basically redline up at near max, you know, we'll call it VO2 max if you want, or aerobic capacity, whatever you want to call it they're redlining for 15 minutes plus or minus, right? So you got to throw the whole kitchen sink at them in an intelligent way and progressively um, manipulate and manage and allow them, allow them to manage just that constant, you know, burden that is the 5k. I'll always go back to that question. I asked Chris Linsky years ago when he was, you know, run sub 26 or 27, excuse me, for the 10K and the, you know, those sub 13s that in his breakout season, um, breakout year. And I go, man, well, when does the 5K start getting hard? Right. And he goes, he goes, dude, JMR, after 200 meters every single time. And it's just understanding like that's the reality of the 5K is you just, you have to be able to cope for three miles with this like redlining. And the other one is just the, the classic, you know, one mile, you know, four lap, three lap, two lap, one lap, right? A mile, 
12, eight, four, cut down, like tried and true one to three sets of that, depending on the athlete. But it's like, that's a tough workout. It's so tough. You start off at 5k pace for the mile, then like 3k pace for the 12 mile pace for the eight, basically all out what you got for the four. And if you do it twice, whew, yeah. And everything's followed by four meter recovery, you know, three, four minutes rest. It, it catches up with you. Like those simple workouts are battle tested and effective, um, but also really difficult. But for me, that's, I found for those type of athletes really um, is successful at getting them both physiologically and psychologically ready to just grind. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the the grind of the 5K because I think that that is the difference between high school and co- and as you move up, right? High school, you tend to think of the 5K as you can get through the first mile without feeling too bad, you know? And as you progress and develop, you realize that the 5K is just riding this line. Um, and what makes time. it so hard, too, is it's like I was a really good 3K runner. I loved the 3K. The 3K, so many people are really good 3K runners. And like the 3K is awesome. But then the 5K is so bloody hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like, there's not much slowdown from the 3K to the 5K. That's exactly. What makes, makes You're just essentially now doing 3K pace for 2,000 meters longer, and that's what makes it so tough and why it's so difficult to sometimes transition a successful 3K or 2-miler high schooler to a really um, successful 5K runner. Yeah, exactly. So um, I love it. I love the simplicity of the workouts. I think they're tried and true for a reason. Um I mean, it's because they, they, they work, but it's really hardening or inuring to that <laughs> kind of grind that exists in the 5K um, and that, that difficulty from kind of the first moment. And really, you know, I think a large degree of it is as you're transitioning, um, especially at the college, but even at the elite level is like understanding and doing workouts where they're kind of on it from the get-go versus the, the kind of working into it um, kind of gets you prepared for that mentality in the 5K as well. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, I, I had a, a coach, I forget who, which coach it was, um, but they, those type of workouts, it was, you know, uh, it was what, it was what they call it, BYS, bring your shit, like bring your shit today like be on your shit bring your shit bys uh and it, when you saw bys workout i was like oh okay i gotta like make sure i eat enough make sure i go to sleep like you know you were forewarned like to just br- bring it because the expectation was yeah we're really gonna try to simulate the demands and preparedness for that race and i think that's you know again really important to keep in mind with all these workouts is they are complemented on leading into and immediately after with very easy, generous periods, days of recovery of really lots of restitution. Cause you can't do this, this, you know, you can't grind at that level every single day. You can't expect, okay, then the next day I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to steady state my like, you know, training run. No, 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 no. Like the polarity is key. We got to remember that top of mind. Like there's a price to pay, for adaptation and the prices restitution and recovery periods yep 
Exactly. I, I think that's a huge, uh, a big reminder as you, uh, you know, work through these things. So why don't we, you know, as listeners um, have heard, we've kind of gone through our middle distance, our marathon, the in between the 5K and 10K. We would, we would love to hear from you guys what your favorite staple workouts are for these distances. And then more importantly, like why? What makes it your staple? Because I think we all have these tried and true workouts that that we find valuable and all that stuff. But I want to hear the logic behind it because, you know, hopefully John and I can take some lessons away from uh, what you guys experience. So hit us up on social media and Twitter. Send us your workouts. Maybe we'll uh, we'll do this again with more workouts because, as I said, we could probably go on for like 10 hours. Oh, we can do part three, part four. Yeah, because yeah, – Workouts are 10 fun. hours of workouts. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe we'll bring on a coach or two to kind of explain their favorite workouts. Uh, so if you've got... Steve is dangling carrots left and right in front of us. Right I now. am. So, awesome. you know, <laughs> if you got good workouts, send them our way. Give us an explanation. Email, Twitter, whatever is easiest to you. And maybe... Yeah. And a good thing is, is also, too, what we're trying to create with the Scholar Program, like we said, is this training talk series, right? Um where Steve and I, you know, will monologue for our members to kind of consider um, our perspective on certain, you know, basic concepts like peaking and base training have been the first two. But also the most important thing is then the the live part happens when we all get together with uh, the members over Zoom and Skype and just have a roundtable discussion where it's not necessarily Steve and I being the leaders, but hearing what other coaches are doing. And I've, it's great insight from like coaches who are working with high school athletes and coaches who are working with uh, masters marathon runners online and, you know, hearing all the challenges that everyone faces and how they solve that. It, it's given me a lot of interesting ideas and new perspectives I didn't have. And it's one of the things now Steve and I are really trying to build is this community and legitimate community that actually interacts together uh, versus just, you know, in concept, but actual interaction regularly so that we all can grow and benefit from that. So if, if you haven't or aren't, please check it out uh, and consider signing up. Even just give it a, a month trial and see if you really take value away from that or just to get your hands on the Canova course. <laughs> you know, like a lot of good stuff coming down the pipeline here. Love it. So hopefully that was a value to you guys. If we can be of any assistance, reach out. But as John said, we've got, uh, we're trying to create a community. In fact, we've got a Zoom call uh, that we're preparing for in a couple of days with all of our community to talk about peaking. So if that sounds interesting, you know, hop on board so you can be part of the next one. So until next time, thanks again for listening. We appreciate all of you. Um, good luck in your coaching. Keep Keep going. We're almost almost out of this crazy thing and back 10k to go in the marathon baby Woo! something to celebrate